Well, good evening. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to Soul City Church. We're so glad that you're here this evening. And we're so glad that you decided to join us as we kick off this new series that we're calling Best Ever. Uh, and uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at relationships. And we are really excited to actually team teach uh, for the next three weeks and uh, to sort of open up our lives and our marriage and what God uh, has been teaching us. And, and we're excited about that because we love being your pastors. And we love being able to be a part of your lives and to help uh, you see where God is at work in your lives. And we want to help you see where God is at work in your relational lives. And you may be wondering, uh, you know, why is it that we're talking about dating? Why are we talking about marriage? Why are we talking about sex in church? Uh, and the reason that we're doing that, it's a great question, the reason that we're doing that is because we know that that's what you're already talking about all the time anyways. Um, and we know that because when we talk to you and when we pray with you and when we have conversations with you, usually relationships end up coming up. And so what we want to do is we want to have a really honest conversation over the next couple of weeks. And the hard thing is, is that when we have those conversations with you, is that often what comes up is that we hear about some of the things that are not going well. We hear about the things that are wrong. We hear about the things that are difficult. We hear about the things that make relationships complicated and tricky. And so what we want to do is we want to have an honest conversation about what God might have to say to us about our relational world. We want to be honest with you. We want to be helpful. We want to open God's word and see what God's word might have to say to us. We want to be transformational. And we want this dialogue to be led by God that begins here and then makes its way into the rest of our conversations. And so our hope over the next three weeks is that what we talk about, that it begins to really marinate in your heart, that you really process it, that you pray about it, that you spend time with God contemplating. We, we want to see it permeate into your relational world. That you, that you go out and you talk about this, that you discuss it, that you, you, know, you, you start to think, okay, well, how can we do this differently? You have lots of conversations about it. And our third prayer is that it would radiate as you show the world that relationships can actually be a gift from God and a gift to each other. And so that's our prayer. That's our prayer for the next three weeks uh, as we walk through this series, Best Ever. And, and I love uh, what Mike, he's a little eight-year-old boy, what he said when he was asked what people do on a date. So here's Mike. He's an eight-year-old boy. And somebody asked him, what do people do when they go out on a date? And he said this. On a first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go out for a second date. <laughs> is a fascinatingly uh, honest person, I think. <laughs> that may be true. That may be true, but that's not what we want to do here today. We want to have an honest conversation. We want to have sort of our very own Soul City Church DTR, if you will, okay? And those of you that don't know what the DTR is, this is called Define the Relationship. And DTRs happen usually in a relationship when it gets to that point where people, you know, both parties need to say, okay, where is this thing really going? We need to define the relationship. And I remember mm -hmm. when we had our very first of, DTR. Of many. We had a few. <laughs> we had a few. We needed to define things along mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, I remember in our very first DTR, so Jared and I, we dated long distance. Uh, I was here in Chicago. He was in California. And we, when we were dating, uh, this is actually pre-email. I know this is hard for you to imagine right now. This is pre-text uh, messaging. This is even pre-cell phones. Uh, dinosaurs were roaming the earth uh, back in this time frame. And so Jarrett and I were talking on the phone one night. There was a cord connected to the phone. I know. I know. 
It's shocking. It's true. Look it up online later. It's true. They used they used to be connected to to the wall. Anyway, so we're talking we're talking on the phone and we're having this conversation. And I, one thing that you need to know a little bit about our relationship, a little bit about what makes us different, is that when I was a young girl, uh, probably. Even pre-middle school, probably right when I was going into middle school, I made a decision. I made a decision that I was not going to say the words, I love you, until I knew for sure I was going to spend the rest of my life with that person. I was not going to just, you know, tell every single person that, you know, I thought maybe I loved, that I loved them. I was going to reserve those words for only one man one day. So that's a little bit of backstory. Jarrett, Jarrett is a little bit different when it comes to uh, well, those yeah. words, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably by the time you were making that commitment, I had told 42 different girls, <laughs> some at the same time, <laughs> that I loved them, that I loved them. Yes. So I sewed those words, you know, all over the place. Yes. I, I sort of had a lot of irons in the fire, as they say. As, yes. As you can see, very different. Just different strategies. Different strategies. Different people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Different approach. Oh, yeah. Different approach. Well, anyway, so, so we're having a conversation on the phone, okay? And now we had probably been dating long distance at this point, maybe three or four months. And we're talking on the phone. We're just, you know, catching up on one another's day. It's not really like, you know, a, a, a big conversation about anything. We're just sort of sharing, you know, what's happening in our lives. Well, it got towards the end of the conversation. It was getting a little bit later, and I said, "Okay, I gotta go. I've got a you know early class in the morning. Um, you know, I'll I'll talk to you tomorrow. I love you." <laughs> yes, I got her. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe I said it. I was like, "Oh my gosh, do you know what this means?" Like, oh my gosh, I said these words. And, and see now, in my mind, I had pictured this moment my entire life. I had like pictured people in a field. I don't know. They were like dancing. I don't know. The girl was like this. I, I don't know. I, I, like, I had not pictured that the words just sort of accidentally fell out of my mouth. But that's exactly what happened in the moment. And the words just fell out of my mouth. And the reason I believe they fell out of my mouth is because it was the overflow of what was happening in my heart. Jarrett and I were, were falling in love. I was falling in love with this person. And I, I didn't need a moment to, to speak to what was already happening in my heart. I loved him. Well, needless to say, the conversation did not end there. The, 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 we had a long conversation then at that point, like, do you know what this means? Uh, kind of conversation. Was, yes, I'm very familiar with this process. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fully up to speed on what saying these words mean. Yeah. Yes. So that was our first DTR. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting too is, you know, so in that moment, this is, that's 20 years ago. So I had no idea in that moment what was to come. Like, I, I, there was no way I could have seen in that moment when we were having that sort of defining conversation that we would be here today or that 20 years later I would be telling you every day that I love you. Mm. I have no, how could I have possibly known that? I just knew in that moment that uh, I really did. I really did love her. And I really wanted this relationship to work. And I really wanted to figure out how to put God at the center of it. Because I knew that was the only way it was actually going to act, you know, work. Mm. I knew that I didn't want it to be like my past relationships. Because clearly those didn't work. <laughs> And so I didn't know how to articulate that or even necessarily what to do. I just knew that's what I wanted. And I had no idea uh, what God was going to do to bring us to the point that we're at 20 years later um, in our relationship. And I think my hunch is what I wanted in that moment, even though I couldn't put words to it, I wanted a, a life-giving, a healthy, God-honoring relationship with you. I didn't know how to say it, and I'll be honest, I didn't even know fully how to do it, but that is what I actually wanted. And my hunch is about every single one of us in this room, no matter where you're at in your relational world, no matter where you're at sort of on the relational spectrum right now, my hunch is you want the same thing. Mm. 
That's my hunch is you want the same thing. In fact, just by show of hands, who wants a healthy, life-giving, God-honoring relationship? <laughs> yeah, just about all of us do. So what's unique is that we all want that. But what is difficult is that many of us, having that desire, tend to aim our direction and attention in all the wrong places mm. and in all the wrong things. Mm. We want that, but we don't know how to get there. And so we kind of hang our hope on things that ultimately we have no say or control over. Mm. We focus our, our energy and our attention on things like circumstances and hoping that it all sort of works out. Having an in-the-field sort of moment with someone. Like we, we want things to all work out, but ultimately we can't control our circumstances. People have tried for thousands of years. It hasn't worked. We hang our hope on a person to, to come into our lives and to sort of make it all work for us. And we ultimately can't control other people or make them do those sorts of things. So we start with, I think, an honest, a, a shared desire to have that kind of healthy, life-giving, God-honoring, lifelong relationship with someone. But we, end, we tend to sort of focus in the wrong direction and camp out and hang out and the wrong things, hoping that some perfect person is going to come into your life and somehow magically make you all of who you're supposed to be is not necessarily realistic when you say it out loud like that. And yet many of us spend a lot of time and energy and attention believing that that's going to happen. Sort of hoping that the person that you're with, so maybe you're in a relationship, you're married, the person that you're with is somehow going to magically become perfect overnight, or just marginally perfect, <laughs> or less imperfect, <laughs> hanging your hope on that person sort of defining who you are, as you know in your relationship, is an unrealistic expectation. Mm. We focus all our attention with the, the, a right desire in the wrong direction. Mm. And so what we want to look at is what are the things that while we're kind of wanting that same thing but looking in the wrong direction, what are some of the things that God actually wants to do, the work that he wants to do in our lives right now, right where we're at, that's not contingent on someone else? What if God's best for you, what if God's very best for you isn't just another who? What if God's best for you isn't just another who? Isn't just some other person coming into your life to magically complete you or fulfill a very real desire that I think every one of us has? But what if God's best for you isn't about just that? I'm so grateful for this other person. But at the end of the day, Jeannie is not all of God's best for me. He actually has so much more and she is a part of that. What if God's best for you isn't just about another who, but it's about you becoming all of who God intends you to be. So that no matter where you're at sort of in your relational status, you can actually do the work that God has in front of you mm -hmm. to become who he's created you to be. And it's not contingent on someone else coming into your life or on the person who's currently in your life. We can have great hopes and great desires, and those aren't bad things. But there's actually real things that we can do right now, right where we're at. Mm. And that's to pay attention to, to do the work, to kind of follow God's curriculum for our own growth in becoming who he's actually created and intended us to be. I want us to look at a passage of scripture that speaks to this reality, work that every one of us can do no matter where we're at in our sort of relational status, our relational world right now. Stuff that God is inviting you and me into. Whether it's your first date this weekend or your 50th wedding anniversary, what we're about to look at here is just as applicable to every one of us. So I'm going to ask you, if you brought a Bible, to open it up right now to Philippians chapter 2. And if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have like an app on your phone, we've got you covered. There's a blue Bible right in front of you. I'd ask that you grab this and a pen because we're going to be walking through a passage of Scripture together that I think God really wants to teach and grow in each of us this weekend. In the blue Bible, it's actually on page 819. 
We say this all the time, but I feel like it's worth saying tonight. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you're serious about growing in a relationship with God, but you don't have a Bible, the Bible that you're now holding in your hand is yours. It's our gift to you. We literally want you to steal a Bible from church tonight. <laughs> One of our greatest joys is coming back in and restocking the Bibles each week. So if you don't own a Bible, please steal a Bible tonight because this is really life-transforming truth that God wants to speak into your life and into your relationships right now. Quick context on Philippians chapter 2, again, page 819. Let me just give you a little quick uh, context before we get into the passage. This may come as a shock or surprise to you. The Bible doesn't have a lot of dating tips in it. But it has a ton to say about us and the way that we go about having relationships. Hmm. A ton. And we're going to look at one of those passages tonight. This passage is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul, a great leader in church history, in the very first stages of the church 2,000 years ago. This letter was written about 30 years after the death of Jesus. And many churches were starting to pop up all over the place. And Paul was sort of like this head pastor over many of them. And so he would travel from church to church. And when he couldn't travel to them, he'd send letters to them, encouraging them, challenging them. And in this case, this little church in Philippi, this area called Philippi, was a growing church, but was starting to have some division among the church. Some people were kind of teaching different stuff, and it wasn't really ultimately about Jesus. It was about their own biases and preferences, and people were trying to take people back to old things that Jesus had already overcome. And so Paul is speaking into that division to bring unity to this church, but specifically to bring unity between people in relationship. And so that's a little bit of the backdrop that we get this, I think, very powerful and very practical principle for our lives and our relationships and in the same passage we're going to see here, Paul paints a beautiful picture of our example in Jesus. So as I read through this passage, I want you to think about your relational world right now. And I don't want you to think about them, some other who. I want you to think about you. Mm. And how are you doing at what we're about to read together? Every now and then I'm going to pause. When I do, I'm going to ask you to kind of speak the word back. We're going to circle that together because it's, it's significant. Is that, can we do that together? Is that cool? Mm. Okay, good. I wasn't sure there for a second. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 starts by saying this. Look at Paul's not messing around here. Do, what's the word? Do nothing. nothing. Now this is very important. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Hit pause right there. Do nothing in your relationships, in your relational world, as you're interacting with others, whether it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whether it's the person that you want to have a relationship with, whether it's even the people at work or in your family or your roommates, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul's not saying here, look, as much as you can, try as hard as possible to not do anything that's ultimately all about you. Paul's saying, hey, listen, if we're going to have unity, if our relationships are going to be healthy, life-giving, and God-honoring, then we don't do anything hmm. out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We don't do anything that ultimately is all about us. Hmm. We don't seek to serve our own agenda in our relationships. This is big, tough teaching. Easy to say. Difficult to live out. Paul says the only way for peace and unity, harmony, healthy, life-giving, God-honoring relationships is when you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And he says, but this is what you can do. Here's what you actually can do. Rather, he says, in what? In? Humility. Okay, you know what that word means. That means in humility, taking the lower position, making it not all about you. In humility, value others above hmm. yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see what God is saying here? For us to have these life-giving, healthy, God-honoring relationships that last a lifetime, it, one of the things that you can do, instead of sitting and waiting and hoping for someone else to come and magically make this happen in your life, one of the things you can begin to do now, instead of serving your own agenda in every relationship, is to serve the people in your relationships. To serve the people that God has brought into your life. To be that kind of person who says, you know what, I'm not going to make it all about me. I'm not going to make it all about what I want, what I need in this moment. I trust that God is going to take care of my needs. How can I help you? How can I put you before me? How can I in humility put your needs above my own? To 
Paul is, is saying here is you don't have to wait or look off for someone else to do this. You can actually do this right now today. You can put this principle into practice in every relationship you have. This idea of putting others ahead of yourselves is so counterintuitive for us because we kind of in our relationships tend to operate on survival mode. Like I got to take care of myself and make sure that I'm taking, get what I need and get what I need. It's, it's counterintuitive to say like, if you want this relationship to grow, give, 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 serve, serve, serve. Instead of sort of take what you need, take what you need, take what you need. It's counterintuitive to how we tend to approach relationships. And it's countercultural to the way that our world operates around us. Hmm. Think about maybe the relationships that you were modeled growing up or the relationships that we see in our culture kind of broadcast into our lives on a daily basis. This is completely opposite of that. Because the model in our culture, in our world right now today is basically this. is basically, look, you are here for me. You're here for me. You're here to make me happy. I'm looking for someone to make me happy. I'm looking for someone to help kind of meet my needs, my needs. I'm looking for someone to please me physically, sexually. I'm looking for someone to complete me. <laughs> you are here for me. That's the way of this world. And what God is laying out for us here is something completely countercultural. Mm. Because God's ideal for your life and your relationship is not you are here for me, but I am here for you. I am here for you. How can I put you above myself? How can I seek to serve you and not just serve my own agenda? Now again, it's counterintuitive because everything in your brain goes, wait a second, no. If I do that, that means I lose something. That I'm not going to get what I need or what I want. It means I have to kind of lay down my power. It means I kind of have to like take the lower position. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's interesting about that is God says, yeah, yeah, that, that seems counterintuitive. It's because it is. If that seems hard, that's because it is. But there's someone who's actually gone before you who has already done mm. this for you. Mm. Let's look what Paul says in verse 5 here. In your relationships, whatever they may be, Paul says, look, if you want to have life-giving, healthy, God-honoring, lifelong relationships in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That means go about your relationships the same way that Jesus did. Look what Paul says in verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, that means being fully equal to God. That means quick little sidebar theology here, that Jesus is fully part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus. God the Holy Spirit, fully equal fully a part of the Trinity. Jesus being a full part of the complete picture of the Trinity did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, look, Jesus could have at any moment in this world played the God card. Could have easily said at any moment, oh, oh, do you not know who I am? <laughs> oh, do you not know who I am? You, you, you don't get it, because see, I'm God. See, right now in heaven, they're singing songs about me, <laughs> like for eternity. And he could have easily played the God card and said, no, you need to understand this is who I am, and you are here for me. But look what Jesus does, rather. He made himself, what's the word? Mm. Nothing. Wait, What? This Jesus who is everything makes himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That means that he literally, physically came to be one of us, not to just sort of teach us from the mountaintop, but to live this out practically, mm -hmm. tangibly among us. Mm -hmm. Could have at any moment played the God card and said, no, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to serve. Mm -hmm. I am going to take the lowest position and look at this, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, being human, he humbled himself even lower than just coming to serve others and put them above himself. 
He went even further than that and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm. This is who the Jesus that we follow, that we sing to, that has grown and built this church. This is who Jesus is. Mm. He is the one who could have at any moment played the God card and said, no, I am going to take the lowest position. He is the one who at any moment, with still angels' echoes resounding in his ears, could have demanded every one of us on earth to give him the praise and worship that he actually deserves. But he said, no, I'm not going to make you be here for me. I'm here for you. And I will lay my life down for you. I will do that for you. I am here for you. You know, what's so amazing about this passage and what's so powerful about this, this passage in light of our relationships is that this is what you and I can do as well. In fact, this is one of the greatest things that we can do in our relationship with God. It's one of the greatest things that we can do as we grow as individuals. It's one of the greatest things that we can do in our relationship with one another is we can start to look at how can we serve? How can we practice humility? How can we put others before ourselves? And, and I can see this in real time in our relationship. I can watch this be worked out in our marriage. When we do this in our relationship, when we choose to serve, when we choose to practice humility, when we choose to put one another above ourselves, the whole tone of our relationship is different. The whole feel of our relationship is different. The grace and the love and the forgiveness that exists between us is entirely different. Now when we don't do this, when we're waiting around and wondering, when is he going to put me first, just like it says in the Bible? <laughs> or when he's sitting around and waiting, when is she going to put me first, just like Paul instructed for her to do? The whole tone of our relationship is different. You see, when I don't feel good about me, I try to make sure that he doesn't feel good about anything in his world. When I'm insecure, I want to try and make him fix it. When it's all about me and my needs and my wants, clearly the temperature of our relationship is very different. There's less grace. There's less forgiveness. There's less love between us. And you and I, we don't have to just sit and wait and hope for that perfect person or for your person that you're with to become perfect. We can get to work on this right now. I love how John Orberg says it. He says, you can be the youiest you that you can be. <laughs> and I'm sure that many of you are probably thinking, well, that's that's great, and that's a really good example, and I appreciate you, you know, telling me about how that works in your marriage, but I don't have another person. I don't have another in my story. So who do I practice that with? You know, who, who, do, I, who do I work that out with? And what's so powerful about this truth in Philippians is that you can take on the same attitude of Jesus as we pursue becoming the very best versions of ourselves. And being God's best you actually helps you see God's best for you. Hmm. By living out this principle and by living this way, being God's best you, you choosing to be the very best you that God has created you to be, that will actually be an indicator, a direction sign, an ability for you to see God's best for you in your relationships. You see, the process of you choosing to pursue being the best you will actually help you recognize who is best for you. Hmm. By you saying, I'm going to be the very best me that I can be, it's going to help you recognize when that best person for you comes into your life. 
It's going to help you have a clear understanding. It helps you know what to look for because you are already living out these values every single day. And instead of running every single prospect through your little grid, right? Instead of running every single girl through your filter, instead of running every single guy through your filter, are they the one? Are they the one? What ends up happening is you start asking yourself, how am I becoming the one? The one that God created me to be. And in doing so, you start asking the question differently. How am I becoming someone's the one? How am I actually becoming someone's the one? I love how Andy Stanley puts it. He says, are you who the person that you're looking for is looking for? (laughs) Are you who the person that you're looking for is actually looking for? You see, when you choose to focus your time not on catching someone, but on becoming someone worth catching, everything changes in the relational world. And my, uh, my dating journey uh, would definitely not be something that I would say would make up a mini-series. It was more like a pilot that was never picked up. Um, I did not date that much growing up. Um, I had maybe one sort of semi-serious relationship in college, um, but I did not go out on that many dates. And for me, uh, that caused some loneliness, that caused some discouragement that caused um, some insecurity that I had to wrestle with and, and asking myself, is, is there something wrong with me? Um, why, aren't, why isn't my phone ringing? Why aren't people um, calling? And I had to walk through some of those things and wrestle with some of those things. And I knew, I knew that I had a choice in front of me. I could sit around and wait for someone to come into my life. And that was very tempting. And that was something that I I thought about doing. I could wait and sit around and hope that maybe the phone would ring, that someone would call, that, you know, this person would waltz into my world and we would sort of ride off into the sunset. Or the second option was I could start to become someone. Hmm. So I could sit and wait for someone or I could start to become someone. Hmm. And for me, I decided the second option sounded a lot like more fun. Um, I'm not very good at waiting, and so I didn't feel like waiting would be fun, and so I decided um, this one looks like it has some action connected to it, so I'm going to do this one. And so I chose the second option. And I started to get very grounded in who I was. I started to ask a lot of questions of who I was and who God created me to be. I got really connected uh, to a lot of great people I got very involved in my church. I started to serve. I began to go on missions trips around the world. I made plans. I set goals. And I really began to grow. You see, I was not just waiting for someone to come into my life. I built a life that someone would want to enter into. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just sitting around waiting like, oh man, I hope somebody comes into my life. I was like, Forget that. I'm going to build a life and somebody's going to want to join it. Hmm. And I grew. And I started to discover who God created me to be. And I started loving living out this mission that he had for me in becoming all of who he created me to be. And it was not connected to a who. Hmm. The only who it was connected to was Jesus. And I found my identity in him. Hmm. And it was one of the the greatest gifts of self-discovery and transformation that God could have ever blessed me with. By the phone not ringing, I figured out who I was. Hmm. And it was a great, great gift. Well, so much so to the the point that when I actually first met Jeannie, I was visiting Chicago, and she was friends with a friend of mine, mutual friend. And there's about 10 or so of you and your roommates and friends are all visiting with me and a buddy that were visiting from California. And literally in 
five minutes, no exaggeration, five minutes of having just Jeannie in the room. It's not even like she was talking to me. I was like, whoa, what? wow, that, I have never met someone like that. In fact, we were all making plans to go meet up. We're actually going to meet up at the Milnati's on Wells. And so they were going to go there and we were going to take a cab to get there. And I said to my friend who was with me, like, and this is all the depth and wisdom and maturity of a 20-year-old. So please don't hold this against me. I said, dude, what is up with that jean chick? Translation, she's somebody. I was a kid that grew up actually around the church, around a lot of great Christian people, great Christian women. I had never met a woman that loved God as passionately and as honestly as this woman. I never, in five minutes, I saw it. And on top of that, she was confident, funny, beautiful. She didn't even ask me to write these things. I mean, this is just, <laughs> this is true. Because there was a choice that was made. People spoke into her life at an early age and said, no, this is an opportunity for you to become who God has created you to be. So much so, in fact, that I wanted to be a part of who God had created her to be. When you kind of get that and understand that you becoming God's best you, it'll actually begin to help you see God's best for you. Not just in your relationships, but in the choices that you make. Mm. In the questions that you actually ask of yourself and of others. When you say, look, I, I, I am committed to nothing less than being the, the best me that God has actually created and intended me to be. It gives you better questions and a better filter to sort of look at others through. Gives you better questions like, you know, if, if I'm unwilling to really engage in a relationship with God now, or if he or she is unwilling to engage in a relationship with God and kind of plant their roots in this life with God, then what makes me think that by us getting together, that's magically going to change? It gives you better questions to ask because you're seeking nothing less than God's best for you. And so you ask questions like, okay, wait a second. And I'm talking, ladies, to you. When you look at guys and say, look, ladies, if he's not willing to honor you now, to honor you physically now, to honor your boundaries and limits now, what makes you think that magically that's going to somehow change once you're together or once you're married? Guys, no different for you. The questions that we ask ourselves, if we're not willing to be intentional and thoughtful and remember important things about that person or about their life now, how is that going? Like, is that going to just magically change once we get into a relationship or once we get married? Do you see? It begins to change your view of what God's best is for you because you're committed to living that out in your own life so that you can recognize it when you see it in the lives of others. The only way that you're going to have those kinds of questions and, and come to the right sort of answers is when you commit to say, I am going to stop focusing on them and that perfect person for me and making sure that she meets all of these qualities and I, you know, I'm not interested unless she's that, there's this. Listen, when the list is about what God is doing in you, mm. it changes the way you see everyone else. Because mm. you've got work to do that's right in front of you and it's not contingent or connected mm. to just another who. Mm. You know, uh, a while back I was in another city and I was getting ready to speak at a conference. And uh, I got up in the morning and uh, went out to my car, um, my rental car, and was getting ready to drive over to, to this place where I was speaking. And there was a note on my windshield. And I was not in a city that I'm normally in. And so, you know, I was like, huh, I wonder, wonder who gave me a note. And I opened it up and I read it. And it said this. I've, I've kept the note. It said, Julie. So, first sign, this is not for me. <laughs> Julie, I guess I found out where you have been going. I'm not as mad as I thought I'd be. I'm more sad than anything else. I hope you're happier now. Come pick up your things, Ron. Dang. And I closed the note and I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not Julie. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, clearly, Ron is not happy with Julie right now. And I've carried this note around with me for a while now, for quite a while. 
Because in that moment, um, I thought, I wonder when Ron knew that Julie wasn't the someone for him. I wonder when Julie knew that Ron wasn't the someone for her. And what were all of the things that began to happen in that relationship to make it unravel, to make the pain continue to permeate into their lives? And what got them to this point where Ron had to go find her car that looked just like my rental car <laughs> and leave a note like this? Hmm. You know, and I, I've been carrying it around, hopefully, to tell Julie, you know, Ron wants you to go pick up your stuff. <laughs> but I've been carrying it around because it's a reminder to me that relationships are really hard. Relationships are really, really, really hard. It got really hard for Ron and Julie. Never even met them. But it got really, really hard. Loving people well is really hard. Putting others before yourself is really hard. Doing the work that only you can do while God works on you and in you, it's really, really hard work. And anyone who tells you otherwise, anyone who tells you that relationships are the easiest thing ever, they are lying to you. They're just lying to you. They're not telling you the truth. And while relationships are so hard, I also want to tell you, they are so good. They are so good when they are done the way that God intended them to be done. You see, outside of Jesus, outside of Jesus, and Jesus has changed my life, transformed my life, I love him more than anything. And outside of Jesus, no one has been used more in my life to bring about transformation than my husband, Jared. He has been a challenging voice. He has brought comfort when needed. He has been a place for me to be safe and vulnerable. He believes the best about me when he has seen me at my very, very, very worst. But do you know what's amazing? Jarrett can't make me grow. Hmm. There's nothing he can do to transform me. Hmm. It's not his job. Hmm. He ultimately, he can't change me. He can't make me into the me I'm supposed to be. That work is the work of God and me. Hmm. It's God at work in me. Hmm. And could it be that's the work that he's inviting you into as well? Could it be that God's best for you isn't another who out there, but rather it's you becoming all of who God created you to be? And that kind of work is good, good work. And it will change. It will change your relationships. I promise you that. It will change your relationships. 17 years ago this Saturday Jean and I got all dressed up and we invited all of our friends and all of our family to a church and we got married our 17th anniversary is coming up this Saturday and in fact I even uh, brought a picture so you guys can see that it's true uh, uh, we're not puppies I mean that <laughs> I, will, I am the 14-year-old uh, boy with the, um, the bowl cut on the right there. Actually, at this moment, I was just asking Jeannie, uh, how early do you think they'll give us the hotel room? Um, and they just happened to take a picture of that. We're married! It's okay. Okay, anyway. I'm so very sorry sometimes for... <laughs> Moments before this picture was taken, we stood and faced each other and made vows to each other, promises to each other, commitments to each other. Uh, we made a dedication, a commitment to each other that we were going to be there for each other. 
And it's a very powerful thing. I'm thankful that that was a part of our wedding ceremony. Maybe you've been to a wedding even this weekend where they did that. Maybe you've shared vows yourself. Very powerful and beautiful moment to turn and face each other and share those vows. But I'll be really honest with you, 17 years in, that was the easy part. Hmm. That was the easy part. That's the part where they take the picture. That's easy. The work, the hard but good work has come every day since that moment where we actually have to back up those vows, Mm. where we have to make good on those promises, where we have to do the work to do whatever I can do to be all of who God has created me to be, to do that work so that I can offer my best self to Mm. Jeannie. We have to do the work day in and day out of putting each other first. And it's not easy and we don't do it perfectly, but that's what we committed to doing. And so what we thought we would do tonight in closing is to have our own vows. To have our own sort of commitment, our own promise that we make to God, to ourselves, and to a somebody or future somebody in our life. And in fact, we wrote them down and put them in your seat back. You can grab them uh, right now if you want. We'd ask everyone to pull these out because we're going to walk through these. And in fact, I'd ask you to grab that pen that I asked you to grab earlier. And as we're going through these, if there's one or two that really stand out to you, I want you to circle them and make them sort of your commitment to an invitation to the work that God wants to do in your life and in your relationships this week. Which one or two of these, as you're reading through these vows, make you go, oh yeah, man, I don't know, I don't know that I've ever gotten that one right or that one is something I sense God wanting to work in me. And I want to ask you to circle it and make this sort of your commitment this week. In fact, your homework this week is to really invite God into the one or two of these that you circle and say, God, will you do the work in me? Help me do the work that you long to do in me around this. And so I thought what we could do to kind of kick off that work that God wants to do in us is to have a moment that leads to that movement to have a moment right now together where we make a commitment, we make a vow to God and to ourselves about who he has created us to be, regardless of who may be in our lives. And so I'm going to read through these vows. And if I, as I do, if you are committed to this and want to commit your life and your relationship to this, then afterwards do just as maybe you've seen done in weddings. And you can say, I do at the end of each of these. All right, so we can read along and maybe you can circle along as we're going. But let's say these together. Do you vow to let yourself be loved by God first? If so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to be honest about your past and hopeful about your future? I do. Do you vow to pursue purity at all costs in all areas of your life? I do. Do you vow to honor others in what you say and what you do? I do. Do you vow to never compare your inside to somebody else's outside? I do. Do you vow to trust God with your future no matter what? I do. Can you imagine what would happen if this was your playbook for your life? If these things and the things that we've heard taught from God's word tonight was your playbook for your life and your relationships, that you started here. Maybe you're in a relationship, you're married, it's not too late for you to go back and say, hey, wait a second, to have a conversation together this week and go, how are we doing at these? And more specifically, how am I doing at these things? How might God want to grow me in these areas? Can you imagine how that might change the tone of your relationships if this were true? Can you imagine how it would change the picture and perception of what relationships are actually really meant to be like as this neighborhood, this city, our world sort of looks at what's happening in our lives and in our relationships if they're based on these things and not just about serving our own agenda, but about becoming who God actually created us to be and putting others ahead of ourselves. Hmm. Imagine what that would look like. That's our hope and our prayer and encouragement for every one of us as we begin to live these promises and vows out in our lives starting this week. And as I said earlier, you know, God would never ask you to do what he hasn't already done for you. These seem kind of hard. These seem overwhelming, big things. It's because they are. 
But we follow a God who's already gone before us and has done these things for you. And in fact, Paul goes on to write in this passage such a beautiful picture that I think is going to send us into a worship response to God tonight. Because after Paul writes about how Jesus lowered himself, became nothing, took the lowest position, came to serve others, to put others before himself, that that is what he was about. Seeking out those who were less than or lost in this world and saying, I want to put you before me. Because he took that position and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, look at what God did for Jesus. Philippians 2.10 says this, Therefore God exalted him being Jesus to the highest place mm. and gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. Jesus takes the lowest position. God says, no, I am going to lift you to the highest position and give you a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven as it always has, on earth as it should, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We follow a Jesus who's already gone before us for us. Mm. And he's inviting you to follow him into the work that he wants to do in you. Mm. And so we want to pay to him all the glory mm. and honor and worship and praise that is due to his name right now. Mm. We want to respond to him out of our need for him and our acknowledgement of his greatness, even by taking the lowest position in this world. So would you pray with me? And then we're going to sing to this same Jesus together. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you've done. Thank you that no matter where we're at sort of in our relational world, who we are and who you've created us to be is not contingent on anyone else in this world. And who you long for us to be is not possible without you. And so we come to you because we need you. We come to you because we praise you. We acknowledge who you are. We love you. And we offer our praise and our worship to you now. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us so that we may have life and relationship with you and lifelong, life-giving, God-honoring relationships with others. It's in your name that we pray and sing. Amen.